Hey, I'm Ben Ramos, and I get the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor. We are a church all about the authentic power of God coupled with sound theology. Because God's given us his inerrant, infallible word, and in it, he calls us to be people who are filled by his Holy Spirit, people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and people who are led by his Holy Spirit. As a local congregation, God's called us to help people take steps in their relationship with Jesus, to see them rise from death to life and glory to glory. I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I truly pray and I hope that this message would be an encouragement to you and your life, that it would help you to recognize that the mission field is all around you and that it would help you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed. One of the things that we've been talking about in previous weeks has been this concept of recognizing all of the things that we have in our life. And recognizing that it is a gift from God, that God has given us everything that we have, and we are a steward of everything that we have. And so every gift that we have from God is to be used to glorify, to be, to glorify God. And I feel like there's this trend throughout Christianity, and there's this trend throughout um, just the world and, and culture, and I'm calling it the... Boy, the, the, the seagull trend. I'm calling it the seagull trend because there's this movie called Finding Nemo, and in it, these seagulls see this crab, and what are the seagulls saying? Mine, mine. My, come on, help, help me out. Mine, 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 mine. Right? And, and, and as we look at everything in our life, this is, this is the perspective that we take. We take this seagull trait, and we're just saying, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, 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 mine. And pretty soon, we're just surrounded by a bunch of, a bunch of, of seagulls. And uh, I've just been, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I, I was actually just thinking about that with, with my kids. I've got four kids now. And three of them have um, all had this same trait. As, as they're young especially, this trait of saying, mine, mine, mine. The only reason my fourth hasn't done it yet is because she doesn't have the ability to yet. This, this mine, mine. And what is the implication that I'm making? The implication is that when we give our lives to Jesus, we're saying, I don't have a mine anymore. It's all yours. This is, this is the walk with Jesus. It's not mine anymore. It's, it's yours. And, and so this, this idea that I have is that we should be being discipled by, by the Bible. And, and there's, again, this, this trend throughout culture that would say, well, you can have, you can have your Sunday, okay? You, you can have your religious time, but when it comes to my money, when it, when it comes to my relationships or whatever we want to choose, we're saying, well, that's my Mine? That should stay in, in, the, in this lane. We, we make lanes in, in our life. And I've had this conversation with people and, and just saying, we got to be discipled by the word of God. We've got to be discipled by Jesus. And I'm like, I'm just not into the whole discipleship thing. Listen, whether or not you are intentionally stepping into discipleship, you are being discipled. You are being fed. You are being led 
by something in your life. And the Bible calls us not to be conformed into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind to the the word of God. And so as we're talking about, um, as I want to get back into this series that we've been um, on, this series that's entitled Others, giving our focus towards other people, not just our faith, not just me, 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 mine, but, but others. And we've been in this series for like the better part of a year. It's been awesome. I've, I've loved it. We've taken breaks and gotten back into it. Um, and what I want to begin to talk about is something that oftentimes we, we put in the lane of, of mine. And we've been talking about like how to reach others and so I want to try and move our ways, probably going to be, Lord willing, like a two-part message where we get into how to reach people with our generosity. But we've got to lay some framework and, and make sure that, uh, that Jesus is overseeing everything in our lives and not just, not just different sections. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about money and possessions and things like that. Why? Why, why, would we, why would we go there? Let me throw some ideas at you. Jesus devoted roughly 25% of his words in the gospel to resources that God had entrusted, entrusted us with. 25%. It's 28 passages in the gospels. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are over 800 verses on planning, budgeting, saving, investing, debt, tithing, and generosity. And some people, when we get into this, they're like, hey, Ben, we should probably focus where the Bible focuses. Like, okay, all right, I'm following you. We should probably focus on like, like major on where God majors and minor where God minors. Uh, okay, okay, what, what things are we talking about? Like, like love, right? And prayer, those, those are big things. These are, these are important things. Let me throw this quote at you from Wesley Wilmer in his book, God and Your Stuff. Possessions are mentioned 2,172 times, which is three times more than the Bible talks about love and seven times more than the Bible talks about prayer. Why aren't we talking about our possessions a little bit more? Because it's got to stay in its lane, Ben. I don't think so. (laughs) Richard Halverson, a, a pastor and a contemporary of Billy Graham, says, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money's the exact index of a man's true character. All through scripture, there's a direct correlation between, catch this, the development of a man's character and how he handles money. That's a big deal. This is a big deal and it's something that we ought to be talking about. Tim Keller would say um, that money has become a counterfeit God and perhaps the main counterfeit God of Western culture. And here's what I know, is that when we continually choose one God over the God, eventually the wrath of God is is poured out onto us and allows us just to continue to go there as a culture, as a nation, as a world. This is what it says in Romans 1, It says, for the wrath of God is unveiled from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, we we know what the truth is. We're just choosing to go after this God. 
It says that, therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. But they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Pastor Mark Driscoll observed out of Matthew 6.24 where it says, No one can serve two masters, for either one will, uh, he will either hate one or love the other, or he will devote to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He, he observed this, We either worship our wealth or we worship with our wealth. We either worship our wealth or we worship with our wealth. And I'm here to tell you that here at Rise Church, we will be those who worship one God. He is the I Am. He's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. He is Yahweh God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He, his face is not on our dollar or our coins. This, this is our God. Here at Rise, we will worship God with everything we have, and we do not worship everything we have as our God. So why are we talking about money, possessions, and stewardship and stuff? Because Jesus does. Randy Alcorn says, we come to the Bible for comfort, not financial instruction. If we want to know about money, we're more apt to, and this was written a while ago when people would actually pick up magazines like the Wall Street Journal, (laughs) Fortune, Forbes, or Money, but maybe we're going to those websites and these places to fill our tanks and to get our understanding. Scripture should concern itself with what's spiritual and heavenly. Money is a physical and earthly thing. The Bible is religious. Money is secular. Let God talk about love and grace and brotherhood. Thank you. Let the rest of us talk about money and possessions and do whatever we want with that item. It's this choosing lanes. This choosing lanes. Here's the problem with this thought, though. Here's the problem with this. Because Romans 12.1 paints this picture of what it is to worship God. And it doesn't paint us this picture of worshiping God on one day a week or an hour and a half, two hours, if the pastor's going long. Per week. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you. He's, he, he's making this appeal to us, grabbing us. Hey, listen, this is big, a big deal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it, it's not just saying a little part of your body. Just, just put your hand on there. The, this idea of a sacrifice is that the whole thing goes onto the altar and the whole thing is consumed. This is our act of spiritual, of spiritual worship. Listen, when we segregate our lives into what Jesus speaks, what he speaks into and doesn't speak into, we nullify the work of the cross in our life. And here's, that's, that's, a, that's a big statement. Let me, let me tell you what, what I mean by that. The Bible says that when someone believes in his heart and confesses that Jesus is Lord. That means when he's the master over my whole life, when I lay it all down before him, and so many of us, I'm, I'm afraid that in this thought of saying, I'm, I'm Christian, but I don't actually yield it all to Jesus, I don't actually give it all to Jesus, I don't know that that's a biblical view of Christianity. 
we often find ourselves in this place of what we would refer to today as syncretism, where we would choose the different parts of different religions. Oh, I like the peace of this religion. Oh, I, I like the power of this religion. I like, and we combine it all into one, and eventually all paths lead to, to heaven, and all paths lead to awesomeness, and it's everything is awesome. Listen, I'm not having this conversation because I want your money as if scarcity is my God. My God always provides for me. My God is the God of bountiful and endless resource. I'm not worried. I'm having this conversation because it's my role before Jesus to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And ministry is to be done through the lens of discipleship. And within discipleship, someone has to lead by example. And so you have to know what this looks like. And so let's, let's just lay this foundation. Here's, here's what the Lord said. He said, Ben, here's what I want you to do this Sunday. I want you to teach the Bible. I want you to paint vision. And I want you to wait on me. So that's what I'm going to do. I want to teach the Bible. What, what does the Bible talk about when it, when it comes to money and, and stuff? And I want to start in the Old Testament in the Old Covenant and bring an understanding for how God instructed his people. And we're going to go through a number of verses, and this is probably where you want to jot down some verses, where God is giving what we would refer to as like the Levitical law and um, the Old Testament law. And essentially what this is, is God is giving direction to the people of Israel on how to live for two, for two purposes. The one is so that they can live a holy life. God calls them to be holy, to live a set-apart life, to live differently, and to be a light to the world around them. So how, how do you get into right relationship and live a life in right relationship with God? And how do you be a light, like a city on a hill, that everyone else that is living in darkness can look to and say, oh, this is what it looks like to, to live with God? Okay, and so keep that in mind as we walk through some of these verses. And um, I'm going to use a word that might trigger something in you. Don't be triggered. I'm going to say that. Don't be triggered. It's the word tithing. We good? Okay. Tithing. All right, so what is tithing? When it comes to the Bible, what, what is tithing? It's going to start here. Again, this is going to be like the, the super full of scripture part of the message, and we'll get into more practicality here in a few. But Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or fruit of the trees, is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. And so as an agrarian culture, uh, the two main ways of making profit, of making money during that time was of plants and of stock, of livestock. And so this is the first one. So for all of those who are making money off of the seed of the land, the fruit of the trees, there should be a tithe that is given to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem this tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herds and the flocks, here's the livestock part of it, every tenth uh, Animal of that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good and bad, neither shall he make substitute for it. And if he does make substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be 
holy. And so again, we're seeing these two groups of people, these two main ways within the culture that people would make money. And God is saying a tenth of this should go towards, go towards the Lord. Let's continue on. Numbers 18.26. What about those people who aren't making money off of the land or the tithes? Here's this other group of people, the Levites. Numbers 18.26. Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you, for, uh, given from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And so that tenth from the people of Israel would go to the Levites, and they would tithe off of that as as well. And then in Nehemiah ten thirty four. We continue on in gaining this understanding of what types of offerings and what was given to the Lord. Nehemiah 10.34 says, We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of the Lord, according to our Father's houses at times appointed, year by year to burn on the altar before the Lord as it is written. And so there would be this other offering of, of, of wood. Deuteronomy 12.5-6 through 6. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. So he's saying, I'm going to call you to go to a place and, um, and, and go there. So there you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. Now look at the way that he, he breaks this down. Your tithes and the contributions that you present. You present. Your vow offerings your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your, of your flock. So not only were there tithes, but there were numerous other offerings that were given to, to the Lord. Deuteronomy 14, 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all of the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And so this isn't the one where we're going to Jerusalem. This is within your own little, your own little towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. So this was kind of like a benevolence ministry for those people who don't have their means of providing for themselves this is supposed to um, help provide for them, a, a third um, every three years. And so here's kind of the breakdown, all of, all of what I'm talking about here. The tithe was paid, number one, by agrarian f- uh, families three times yearly at the feasts to the priests of Jerusalem, right? So they would travel there. And actually this tithe, as we would call it, or tenth, is something more closer, as you break it all down, closer to like 23%. The second tithe was actually saved by each of the families for this trip. And so during the year, they would set their profits aside so that they could pay for this family trip to Jerusalem and and make this trip. And then the third tithe, tithe was given to the local storehouse every three years, and that accounted for about 3% annually. Let's, let's continue on. Just a couple more scriptures here. You guys doing all right? Deuteronomy 26, 12 through 13. 
when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of your tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they might eat within your towns and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord, I have removed this, and look at the way the, the verbiage here, the sacred portion, the set-apart portion of my house, and moreover, I've given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all of your commandment. And so there's this mindset as we consider, like, what would be the paradigm and what would be the worldview of the people of God as God was giving them instruction on what, how, how do we look like something that's set apart? How do we look like an example of people who are living with God? And they would have this mindset that it's not all mine. It's not all mine to begin with. Before it was mine, it came from God. And before God gave it to me, God is saying, I have a portion, different places that this should go. This is how we're to view everything that we have as a steward and saying, all right, God has blessed me with all of these things. God, what do you want me to do with it? All right, but not only that, let's, let's go one more. Leviticus 23, verse 22. This is powerful. This, this like really struck me. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to its edge. Neither should you gather the gleaning after your harvest. And so those things that fell out of your cart and the things that you didn't already pick up, you should leave them there for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. And so before even we take in that, that prophet, there's stuff that's set aside for for the Lord. And we get to this place where we whine about the taxes that are taken off of our paychecks. <sighs> Let's consider what our perspective is on our on our things. So what's what's the heart of the tithe? If I were to try and encapsulate what our view ought to be of of this tithe, let's go to Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with everything that you have. I wonder... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and let it sit for a minute. But as we would consider what the Old Testament perspective is, let's also think about whole, how the whole Bible refers to this law. Okay, Hebrews talks about the law in this Old Covenant being like a, you guys know what I'm going to say? Like a shadow of what is to come. A shadow, something not as, not as full, not as sharp, not as clearly understood. Let me go to, this, uh, go to this quote by Randy Alcorn, and then we'll, we'll come back to that. If God was the owner, I was the manager. I needed to adopt a stewardship mentality towards assets. He has entrusted me, not given to me. A steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets that he manages, it is his job 
to find out what the owner wants done with the assets than carries it out. So this is, this is to be our perspective. Now, let's look at it from kind of a, a, a legal perspective. The question above all questions in this topic, do I have to tithe? Consider it. Do I have to tithe? Let me take you. It's been said of me that I really seek to be balanced, and it's true. I do. So let me present a couple sides of this, of this coin. Here's what James says. James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. And so if we're choosing to live as our standard by the law, by the Old Testament law, then we've got to live up to all of it. That means y'all better be checking your consumption of like, shellfish and, and, and things like that. Like go through all of those rules and say, this is my standard of living. Here's what Romans 7, 4 says. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. If we want to live by the law, then you've got to live by the whole law, but we're invited into this freedom of not living under this, under this, under this law. Listen, nowhere in the New Testament does it place the requirement of a tithe on a New Testament Christian, nor does it place the requirement of a tithe on non-Jewish Gentiles. But consider this, back to the other side of, of this, this coin. If Jesus came to fulfill the law, If the law is a shadow and the New Testament is this fulfilled picture, what does that mean for our generosity? If the shadow is 10% or realistically 23-ish percent, what does, that mean? what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? If Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, what, is, what does that mean we live under now if we're not living under the law? And here's again what Paul says in Romans six fourteen: For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under, say that beautiful word again, grace, grace, unmerited favor. This is something, a way of life that's provided for you by, by God that you didn't deserve, you couldn't work enough for, unmerited favor. So what does grace do? How does grace affect the way, the way that we live? How should grace build upon the way that God pointed us to the people of God to live as? What, is, what does that do? Again, the two purposes. The two purposes of these law were to direct the people of God for how to be a light and a holy example to the world around them and how to be righteous before God. By the blood of Jesus, he says, oh yeah, righteousness, I got that covered. You're covered. By the blood of Jesus, you are, you are covered. But what does that grace do for our directions to be a light? Well, it, it magnifies it. It clarifies it. It amplifies it. So how do I know this? How do I know this? And, well, I missed, I missed that point, but 
What, is, what does grace do? Essentially, in words that we would understand and utilize today, what does grace do towards the way that we live? Grace raises the bar. From old covenant life, grace raises the bar. And here, here it is. How do I know this? Let's take a look at the way that Jesus compares the two. Matthew 5, 21 through 23. You have heard it said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, go and, go and fix that, essentially. And, and, and so it's, it's comparing the two. You shall not murder. Now it raises the bar. It raises the bar. Let's look at, at one more. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed it. Grace raises the bar. It raises the standard of how we ought to live. So if grace elevates the standard, and the standard was 10 to 23-ish percent, where does that leave us now? Here's what I'm calling it. Spirit-led generosity. Spirit-led generosity. It removes the, the scarcity that I, I, I'm going to run out. I don't have enough. And it steps into this, understand of, this understanding of the sovereignty of God. If I'm, if I'm praying, if I'm doing what God is calling me to do, if I'm living under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if I'm living in wise counsel, if I'm, I'm living my life according to the scriptures, what I have is what God wants me to have. And whatever God wants me to do with whatever I have, I'm going to do because the lordship of Jesus Christ covers over my holistic life. Everything. Jesus calls us into spirit-led generosity, living free to give. I'm going to get into a little bit of practicality. It's probably going to take me about 10 more minutes, but Ned, if you would come up, that's going to help me move towards, move towards that without continuing to hover at however many feet we're hovering. There we go. So some practicality. What, what does this mean for us? How do we apply this? Um, we don't just want to read scripture. We don't just want to read the word, but we want to be doers of the word. Yeah? Amen? Hallelujah? Okay. <laughs> Number one, maybe it is that we never recognized the holistic nature of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe we have been living in this place where I say, this part of my life is off limits to God. And... Um, my, my Sundays or my specific things regarding religion is what I give to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and I keep the rest to, to myself. But that's not biblical. And so the invitation this morning is to lay it all down before Jesus. Maybe it is that we are recommitting. Maybe it is that we gotta get to this, we're coming to this place of saying, wow, I know, I, I've known this but I haven't been living this way. And so it's this fresh time. Listen, you're not too far. You haven't messed up too much. There's no such thing. We live in the period of grace where God is like on, on the front porch waiting for his children to return. He's saying, come, I want you. I want to be closer to you. I want you to experience me on a normal basis. Like this is, this is really God's perspective towards us. 
And so maybe some of us just need to come into that fresh perspective of, of Jesus as the Lord, our Lord. Can you do a little twinkly? Beautiful, yes, yes, just keep that coming. Keep that coming, I'm feeling it. Just kidding. Okay, maybe this needs to get a little bit more specific. Maybe it is that we need to look at some of these specific verses like Leviticus 23 or Leviticus 27, uh, 30. That if the shadow looked like a tenth, what does it need to look like in my life for grace to raise the bar? Maybe it is that we need to focus in on Deuteronomy 12, 5 and 6. Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. Your tithes and the contribution that you present. Your vow offerings, your free will offerings, your firstborn, right? If, if this is the shadow, what, is, what does it need to look like to raise the bar in, in my life and generosity? Maybe we need to focus in on Deuteronomy 14, 28. If the law was 3% going towards benevolence, how does grace raise the bar? And again, here's, I'm not implying that that means you need to give me more money. That's not what I'm saying. We do have benevolence ministry. People do give directly towards that where we get to help people who are in need. But maybe that looks like you taking that 3% in like having food in your car, having backpacks with water bottles and, 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 and stuff that you can give to people as they're in need. Maybe, right? There, there's so many different ways that, that this can, can look. And so the real thing that we, we have to do is we just gotta pray. It's not a legalistic thing. I'm not gonna, I am not gonna be like some tyrannical government forcing you to give X amount. I'm not going to come knocking on your doors. I'm not going to be looking at your, your statements. I'm not, I, I, that's, that's not what I'm about. I, I wasn't called to be an enforcer. But I am here to call you to live with Jesus as the Lord over everything. Let's continue to get a little bit more, more practical as we get to this place of cheerfully giving, we'll get to that a little bit more next week, the cheerful part of it. What happens when another need arises? So let's just say I've committed to X amount, whatever that is, to give before the Lord, to set aside. This is something that I have a conviction about. This is something that is biblical. This is something that I've processed with wise counsel. And this is what I'm going to commit. When another need comes up, a, a specific need, does that mean I'm going to reallocate what I already committed? Or does that mean that's going to be the and offering? The above and beyond offering? And so as, as that may be something that comes up, what would be some things that you would give towards? Missionaries, again, benevolence, outreach, youth, building projects and improvement. Uh, I don't like to, to focus on that, but it is, it's a real deal. It's important that we have a place to gather. Again, I, I just want you to, to hear my heart I'm not, I'm not here to demand things out of you, but God asked me 
to present you the biblical truth and then paint a vision and then wait on the Lord. And so here's, here's kind of the, the vision. Some of the things that, let's just say, we do present the truth, we do paint a vision, and God comes through and he provides. Here's some of the things that I would love to see happen. I would love to see increased wages for people like Pastor Nick, for people like Megan as she's coming on staff. Um, I, I look around at the, the averages of what people are getting paid, and we're, we're under that. And I get it. Ministry's a sacrifice, but we also want to be able to provide a, a good life for them so that they can just full-heartedly be gung-ho for ministry. I want to increase our outreach. I would love to be able to have more uh, finances to be able to fund more outreaches into our community. Again, the, the vision of this is to draw concentric circles around our church here and around everywhere that we live, and let's just let's just go out and love people. Let's just go out and reach people with the love of Jesus. I'd love to continue to develop our space here that would be uh, uh, continue to be a kind place towards ministry, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week also. We're in the process of developing an espresso bar, uh, which the funds will go towards youth ministry and uh, we'll have, some, have some Jesus swag up in there um, and, and just have some, I don't know, I like to be creative and clothing is one of the ways that we're able to do that. And so why not have cool clothes that work as an evangelism tip also? Like, And as this launches, I'd love to have like a space, I just envision like this, this whole area over here kind of being redone and being a, a place for women's ministry that's a little bit more warm and less pink. Um, I guess that goes throughout the whole, the whole area in here. Pink's fine. Pink's fine. But the reality of some of, I've literally gone through these chairs and many, many of the backs have been falling off. I have taken a hand stapler and stapled, like, by hand, slamming the stapler, because that's what I got, and, and slamming it in so, so that the backs will stay on. So just, just real, real needs. The reality, if we continue doing what we're doing and being obedient to God, we're probably going to need a bigger space in the next three years-ish. I would love to see a schooling co-op launched, I would love our online presence. Listen, as, as culture continues to progress in um, online things, I think our evangelism should go that way also. Not to say that we're taking away from streets and presence here, but as more and more people are going online to seek out uh, the truths of, of scripture and things like that, I would love our media team to be able to get to that place. And so building a creative media team which would learn and grow in the arts of photography, videography, graphic design, and going, learning and growing into that to be something like where they become professionals and can teach others and like have this school of creative arts for ministry and other things and, and a school of ministry that would continue to continue to give forth to the vision that God has for us of impacting this, this region and planting more churches and releasing more ministry and, and all, of, all of these things. 
Listen, the vision is here. The entrepreneurial heart is here. The apostolic gifting is here. There are people to be saved. There are lives and regions to be transformed. There are ministries to be launched and churches to be planted. My plan, my instructions is to teach, cast vision, and wait on the Lord. A lot of times, uh, this, this whole thing is, is all about faith. I don't know if you guys recognize that. And faith is that belief in the things that are unseen. So here it is. That's what I'm asking God for. I'm asking God to transform our region with life-giving ministry that has so many different avenues. At the intersection of God's infinite resource and people's obedient radical generosity lies an unstoppable force. Let's be that. Let's be that. Would you stand with me as we move towards a close? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the direction that you give us to shape our lives in. I thank you that you have it all laid out for us right here. And I pray, God, that you would bring just personal conviction. I pray that you would take us into practical application of how you are calling each of us individually and as families to be radically generous, to be Holy Spirit-led generous. I pray that we would be free to give, Lord. And I just pray, I pray against that whole idea of scarcity that I don't have enough that there's not enough. Lord, help change our perspective. Bring us up to a heavenly perspective that everything is a gift from you and every gift should be used to glorify you. Father, I I pray against any fear this morning. And uh, I do just want to go in this direction real quick. Father, I pray for healing. God, I pray for healing and the physical healing that so many people need right now, but also specifically this healing from church hurt where these scriptures have been used and abused to twist people's arms. God, we know that's not your heart, but sometimes we've allowed our hurt to get in the way of how you're calling us to live now. And so, Father, for whoever that is for, I just pray your healing. Your healing over them, that you would continue to just call us into this biblical perspective. Jesus, we love you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We lift you high. We freshly declare that we are your people. We are your kids, that you are our Savior, and you are our Lord. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us. If you have been blessed by Rise Church, be sure to follow us and share it on your social media. You can subscribe to a podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to give yet, you can do so at risechurchid.org or send a text message with a cash amount to the number 84321. And remember that the mission field is all around you. So go in the power of Jesus and bring that transformation for his glory.